There we go. All right. <laughs> Amen. Hit it till it starts working. Amen. That's my parenting philosophy, too. Amen. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. All right. Take your Bible with me this evening and go back to the Song of Solomon, please. And I want to pick up where we left off on last night. And we're in chapter 5. And since this is my last night to be with you folks here at Mountain Valley, I do want to say that uh, uh, it has been a pleasure to be a part of the meeting again this uh, year. Brother Nick, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for the accommodations. And uh, thank you for the good uh, fellowship that we've gotten to experience the good service last night. Just a tremendous uh, a tremendous meeting last night. Good spirit in here, and we thank the Lord for it. And then, uh, uh, to, listen, Brother Nick got me to break one of my vows that I made. And I've kept it for almost eight years. I promised eight years ago that I would never play golf again for the rest of my life. And I never have. And I don't know why I said yes. I've said no to, I've said no to presidents. Uh, not of any countries or anything, but. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what it was, but I said yes, and, uh, and I'm glad I did because, uh, because we won, didn't we? Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. So anyway, I made a vow. To, I was out on the golf course seven, eight years ago, and, uh, and I, I'm not any good at it, never have been, but I started getting just where I could hit a good shot every now and then, and so when I didn't do it, and I did one time, and I didn't the next time, it'd make me so mad. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what I said uh, or anything like that, but, man, I'd make me so mad I want to throw a golf club. And then it finally occurred to me. I thought, you know, hold on a second. I paid money to get this mad. I said, who is the dummy? I'm the dummy. And I just quit, and I never went back. I took my golf clubs, and I set them. I drove by I drove a guy, a member of my church. I set them on his front porch, and I called him. I said, there's some golf clubs on your front porch. I said, you can have them, and I've never, I've never played again. I played some putt-putt with the kids, but uh, that don't count because I don't ever get mad then. I make them cry when we play on the putt-putt. But, uh, but anyway, but I had a good time of fellowship, Brother Nick, and I appreciate that. And uh, thank God for good friends in the ministry. And we got several here tonight. Appreciate uh, the Reigns family singing. Uh, it's more the Blantons last night, but we got more Reigns tonight represented, so that's good. And uh, very good night. And Brother Toby, can't wait to hear him preach. So I'm going to give you something quick to get out of the way. I love Brother Toby. I've known him, I guess, all my life, Brother Toby. I've known you, and I sure do appreciate you. We're from the same same hometown, good old Bremen, Georgia. How I many you know where Bremen, Georgia is? Man, you hadn't lived till you've been to Bremen, Georgia. And if you really want to if you really want to have a good time, find Mandeville Road. Ain't that right? That's where I grew up, on Mandeville Road, right around the corner from the legendary C.L. Powers, Brother Toby's preaching granddaddy, grew up right around the corner from him, and and uh, and his sisters live on right off Mandeville Road and right over there, so we go way back. Brother Toby's aunt's the one taught me how to play the piano, Miss Elizabeth Allen, my piano teacher back in the day. So I love Brother Toby and appreciate him. He's a tremendous preacher. He's going to give something good to us here in a little bit. Let me give you just a thought and then get out of the way. Song of Solomon, chapter number 5. And I want to begin reading in verse number 8. We left off in verse 7 on last night. And I noted that at the very beginning of chapter 5, 
it says that he has come into his garden. And that was an answer to a prayer that was prayed at the end of chapter number 4. And what we have going on in the Song of Solomon, I know there's a lot of different views, and I'm sure there's different opinions in here tonight, but I'll just give you mine. What I see in the Song of Solomon is, of course, a real husband loving on his real wife. And we see the, 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 the purity of marital affection that is exalted in this book. It's good for husbands to love their wives. It's good for wives to love their husbands. And that is exemplified and it is exalted in the Song of Solomon. But of course, and I'm a dispensationalist, I believe, I believe uh, the, the Word of God must be rightly divided, but at the same time, don't hack your Bible all to pieces. Please don't do that. There's 66 books, but this is one book. Over 40 identified authors, but there is one author. And there are many Bible stories to glean from, but there is but one story from Genesis to Revelation. And that is the story of redemption and how God sent His only begotten Son to redeem fallen mankind. And I believe that He took to Himself a bride. That bride is the church and I am a part of that bride. And I believe this story, though on the surface it is marriage and it is marital affection, I believe it points us to a greater love, a love that is absolutely out of this world, the love that Christ has for His church. And gave him so greater love have no man than this. And a man lay down his life for his friends. But God commended this love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest love that you'll ever see and know and experience is Calvary love. And we see that going on here. And it's not just, it's not just relationship, but it, Song of Solomon gives us uh, an insight into fellowship and what it is to how many of you know when you got married you didn't just uh, you didn't just get married and sign the papers and, and 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 repeat the vows and do all those things and then shake hands and and leave no that was just the beginning that was the first step and now you live together now it starts now it begins the marriage ceremony is not the end it is the beginning of a drama of fellowship that is unfolding over the course of a lifetime and in that marriage and that's what we looked at on last night there are ups and there are downs and there are good days and there are bad days and there are times when it seems like you're so close and then at times where it seems like you're just out of step and out of sync and can I tell you in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ yes we are married to him yes we are a bride that will never be divorced yes we that relationship is secure and it is settled for for all of eternity but our fellowship is not always what it needs to be Ups and downs and ins and outs. And he's always steady. He's always right. He's always consistent. But we're not. But we're not. And so the Song of Solomon, really when you think about it as Christ and the church, you have a shepherd king that has taken unto himself this Shunamite, Shulamite woman as his bride. We see Christ and we see the church and we see the fellowship that is taking place between them and when we left off on last night he's come into his garden we talked about that garden be a type a type of the church but he's not satisfied just moving in the church he wants to move in the house he wants to come in your heart and so we have in the garden we have in the house tonight i want to preach on in the city and i want to look at what takes place in the streets of the city 
Because it was when we left off last night that she is in the streets of the city. She is looking for her beloved. She has been wounded by the watchman. And that's at the end of verse 7. And when we pick up our reading in verse 8, she is pleading with these daughters of Jerusalem. And notice what she says. Let's begin to read in verse 8. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. These daughters of Jerusalem respond to her in verse 9, and here's what they say. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? And here is the answer of the Shulamite bride. She says, My beloved is white and ruddy. The chiefest among ten thousands. Ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as, the ra- as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies dropping, sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set ivory, uh, set as... Uh, set with beryl, his belly is bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marbles upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And then drop down into chapter 6, verse 1. These daughters of Jerusalem respond to everything that she has just said. And they say, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? And so when we read this text tonight, we see a conversation that is taking place between the Shulamite bride, and these daughters of Jerusalem, some companions, some peers, if you will. And she is searching for her beloved. In fact, fellowship has been disconnected. He, he initiated fellowship. She hesitated and she, she, uh, uh, she uh, in essence, rejected his invitation to fellowship and he has withdrawn himself and now she has gone out into the streets of the city to find her beloved and she cannot find him. She looks all over and she cannot find him and she asks these daughters of Jerusalem to aid her in helping her find her beloved. In fact, here's what I want you to notice tonight. I want you to see that while she is in the streets of this city that there is a love and there is a passion. In fact, she calls it at the end of verse 8 a love sickness. She is sick of love. There's something moving inside of her that is uh, uh, compelling her to, to find and reconnect with her, uh, with her husband. And that love and that passion that she has for her shepherd has an impact on a group of people that she finds in the city. 
And I'm here to tell you, here's my thoughts tonight. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's good for him to come into the garden. We want him to move in the church. That's a good thing. And we want him to move in the house. He wants to move in our heart. But I'm here to tell you, as we go outside of these four walls, as we go out into the city, there ought to be something about our lives. There ought to be something about our love for the shepherd. There ought to be something about our passion for him that has an impact on other people as well. Do you see that? There is an appeal that is made. Help me find my beloved. There is an argument that is made. They say, why should we do that? Verse number 10. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? Why? Here's what they're asking. Why should we change our plans? Why should we interrupt our agenda? Why should we stop doing what we're doing and search and find the one that you're speaking about is that not the question that we get all the time we make an appeal we make evangelistic appeal we we command just like Paul preached there in the book of Acts that God commands men everywhere to repent seek the Lord while he may be found that's our command to this world seek God find God you need God you need to know the shepherd you need to know him but don't we get that argument back at us by the way that's a legitimate argument that's not a that's not a that's not illogical of those that are living in sin and those that are living their lives not thinking about the Lord they come back and they ask why should we do that why should we why should we abandon our our plans why should we abandon our dreams why should we abandon our lives and and what we're doing to find the shepherd with you and I'm here to tell you friend we better have an answer we better have an answer to give this world. We can't just command them and, and leave it be. We better have an answer. And I find in verse 1 of chapter 6, there is an agreement. They're convinced. They say, where's he at? We want to find him. We want to go where he's at. And I'm interested in this answer that she gave that was able to change their minds about the direction of their life. Her answer was so pointed. Her answer was so passionate. Her answer was so powerful that it caused them to change their mind. There was something about her love for her shepherd that caused others to be drawn to him as well, even those that had objections at first. And I want to ask you this question tonight. Is there anything about your love for Jesus that's drawing anybody else to want to find him too? Is the life that you're living changing any minds about the shepherd? Is the life that you're living changing any minds about who Jesus is? And I want to just examine her answer just for a minute and I'll take my seat. Number one, I want you to see with me tonight the overflowing nature of her answer. I see something about the overflowing nature of her answer. It seems like to me that her answer just bubbled right out of her. It just came up. It was easily spilled out because she was full of love for her shepherd. It was so full. It just bubbled right out. When they asked her, say, why should we change our plans and seek the shepherd with you? She didn't have to, she didn't have to say, you know what? Let me get back with you sometime. Uh, she didn't say, well, that's a good question. Let me think about that. I believe the text indicates that there was no hesitation. There was no second thought. Uh, she didn't have to uh, ask her pastor and she didn't have to ask uh, her Sunday school teacher uh, and uh, she didn't have to call a friend. She didn't 
at the phone a friend. I tell you what, she was ready. In fact, I, I, I was thinking about what Peter had to say about that. Didn't Peter say that we ought to have the Lord so sanctified in our hearts? That means he ought to have such a special place in our hearts that it causes us to be ready. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that 1 Peter 3.15? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There ought to be a readiness about us. There ought to be something that is overflowing out of our life. This girl, she didn't have to think about it. Uh, she didn't have to follow up with them at a later date. She was sitting on ready. She had, count them, 15 reasons sitting on go like a machine gun. Boom, da boom, da boom, da boom, da boom, da boom, da boom. I'll tell you why he's so wonderful. I'll tell you why he's so lovely. I'll tell you what's so great about him. And she was ready to give an answer. It overflowed out of her. But you got to be filled up with it first. If it's whatever comes out of your mouth, that's what's inside your heart. It's what Jesus said, out of the abundance, the overflow, the excess. That's what the word abundance means. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Brother Roloff used to say it like this, what's in the well will come up in the bucket. Amen. If it's in the well, it'll come up in the bucket. If it's on the inside, it'll come out on the outside. And I'm here to tell you, people that love hunting, you don't have to, you don't have to prompt them to talk and tell you why they love. They say, why do you love hunting so much? They'll tell them if they love golf, which I really don't. I enjoyed it today. But, man, they'll tell you why they love it. If they love some sports team, they'll tell you why they love it. If they, whatever, if they love shopping, if they love whatever it is, they'll tell you, if you love it, it'll come out naturally. Amen. I guarantee you grandparents in here, if I was asking you about your grandkids, you wouldn't have to phone a friend. You wouldn't have to wait about it. In fact, we'd be hurt. I've been huddled in a corner in the fetal position before. Somebody showing me pictures of the grandkids. I'm sorry I asked. Yeah, I know. Brother Toby's a grandpa now. He understands. I'm not yet. <laughs> we're obviously we're still we're still working on the kids, not the grandkids. We can't quit doing that, I guess. Good gracious. I'm going to tell you something. If you love it, you don't mind talking about it. It'll bubble out of you. But if you got to have it on the inside first. <laughs> Y'all remember doing book reports in school? Some of you in here, you know, it's like you've taught in classrooms and things. where You know what it is, do a book report in school. You know automatically when a kid hasn't read the book. When they have to write a report, you know, give me 10 sentences or whatever. I, I teach a Bible. We have a little Christian school at our church, and I teach the teenagers Bible class. And, and every now and then, I hadn't done it a long time, but every now and then we'll, you know, write a little paragraph, an essay on this or that or whatever it is. And, and, uh, and so we'll ask them to do something like that. And you can tell when they have not read the material because their book report is very bland. It's very generic. The book was good. The characters were great. The ending was cool. Like, you didn't read the book, you liar. 
You know why? Because that isn't, that isn't specific. That isn't general. And that is very general. Listen, when, you, when somebody asks you, what is it about God that's changed your life? What are you doing in church on a Tuesday night? You give what to missions? You do what? You don't go where? You do what? what in the world? What's wrong with you? Why in the world do you live the way that you do? It's going to take more than just, well, Jesus is good. Man, you're going to have to know Him. You're going to have to be full of Him. And then it'll bubble up on the outside. Amen. Overflows on the outside. There was the overflowing nature of her answer. Secondly, I want you to notice that there is the overwhelming nature of her answer. The overwhelming nature of her answer. Uh, Have you ever asked somebody about something and then you are almost immediately sorry that you asked them because they gave you much more information than what you were asking. I'll tell you what I learned. I started pastor when I was 20 years old, but Toby's got me beat on that. He was 13 years old when he started pastoring. No, I'm kidding. uh, And I learned real quick when, listen, you better be careful. When they tell you they're having surgery, be careful asking them. I just leave it at that. Unless they want to go for more detail, I say, well, we'll be praying for you, you know. Just leave it at that because they'll tell you, and I, man, I get queasy thinking about blood and guts and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to know that stuff. I don't, I don't do all that stuff. I thank God for doctors and nurses that can handle it because I ain't one of them. I don't like it at all. And somebody, they just, you thought, well, I'm sorry I asked about that. I didn't know they could, I didn't know they'd do that kind of stuff. And, man, I don't know about all that. They just start telling you a lot more than what you originally thought that you were going to get. I can't help but wonder. I'm just using a little creative uh, license here tonight. But I can't help but wonder if these daughters of Jerusalem, as they stand here and they ask her, why should we, why should we go seek your beloved? What, what, what's so good about him? And then she starts talking about, starts talking about his face and his his head and his hair and his eyes and his and his cheeks. I think about right there. I'd been saying, "Okay, all right, that's good." T M I. In fact, Song of Solomon's full of T M I. Say Amen, right there. <laughs> that's why I never preached from it until just a couple months ago. I was just kind of skipped over. I thought that's a lot. That's real mushy right there. I don't know about all that. <laughs> I just started preaching from it a few months ago because I, I read it. I read it when you got to check it off the list, and then we just move on somewhere else. Because she starts going into detail about all these things. And she can't shut up about her beloved. It was love. She was overwhelmed with Him. And all of these things, I'm not, I'm not going to take time to preach them tonight. I'll give you a little homework. You want to hear it preached real good? Go home and look up Buster Seaton preaching on He's Altogether Lovely. And you'll find out all you need to know about all that stuff right there. I got a little list about it, but I, I'm just going to leave it alone. Brother Seaton takes care of that real good. You need to look at you read? Have you listened to that? Man, praise God. That would be, that'd be good. We all just play it right now. That would be fine with me. Man, I tell you what, he's all together. He, she goes in about, 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 uh, about his, his face and his countenance and his, and his head. I like that. He's chiefest among 10,000. Don't you like that right there? What is that? 10,000 what? 10,000 anything. Amen. Whatever you want. that You find the 10,000 smartest people you know, and he excels them all. The 10,000 most generous people you know, he excels them all. The 10,000 most powerful people you know, he excels 
excels them all. The 10,000 wealthiest people you know, He excels them all. He's just greater than anything. And I like how she sums it up. She says, He's all together lovely. Just sum it all up like that. She just gives this answer, this overwhelming answer. His lips and his hands and his belly and his legs and his mouth. He's just all together lovely. That means it doesn't matter what angle you examine him from. He looks good from any side. Any side he looks good. Some people, they got a good side, you know. I have a good side and a better side. How about that? People take these selfies all the time. <laughs> we live in the selfie generation. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend somebody right here. I know I am, but Brother Morgan's not here tonight, so I'm going to take his place, all right? Offending people. Here's, listen, I'm going to be honest. Here's how you know if somebody's old or not, how they take a selfie. You can tell if somebody's old. Listen, listen, I'm going to help you out, all right? These people, here's... <laughs> Here's how you know, them older people, here's how they take selfies. They're down here, just like this. They got their phone right down here, and they're looking in the camera like that, and they got four chins, you know, sticking out right in there. I say, listen, if you, take, if you take selfies and you go on Facebook Live and your phone's down here and you're looking at down there, listen, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to offend you, but you're old, all right? Them young people, they know how to take them selfies. They take that phone, they lift it up, and let me let you in on the secret, it makes you look skinnier up there. It does. You're not, but it makes you look that way. You're still fat, but it, you look a little better up here. Lift that thing up. And that's all. Man, you go on Instagram and Facebook. and If you don't know what I'm talking about, then God bless you. You're probably better off for it. But, man, they pay, listen, they go through, and they, they want to make sure the angle is just right because they want to look good. And you see them on social media, and they look like a movie star, and then you see them in person, and they look like Chewbacca from Star Wars. I'll tell you, if you go missing, we ain't, we're not going to be able to find you. We ain't going to know what you look like. They're going to put your picture on the news like that. And that ain't what you look like in real life. Up here. They do that because they want to they wanna present a good side. I'm here to tell you something about God. He don't have a good side or a bad side. You can examine him from the left, the right, the front, the back, the north, the south, the east, the west. He's beautiful from any angle. He's our lovely Lord, Jesus Christ. And we ought to be excited about Him. She was overwhelmed. And the reason she gave such an overwhelming answer is because she herself was overwhelmed with who He was. Let me tell you something. There is nothing worse than an impassionate witness. And I tell you, we have been so good at acting like Jesus is not that good. Why in the world would they want anything we got when we act like it's the most miserable thing? We're sitting there, we cross our arms, we're grumpy all the time. And you go to a job and you're running the preacher down and running the pe- church people down and rah, 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 all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, and then and when we do, when we do you know, feel led or we do finally feel guilted into or whatever to invite somebody to church or whatever, it's just... Just the most boring thing you've ever heard of. Can I tell you, if you're not excited about him, you ain't going to get nobody else excited about him. And if you want to give an overwhelming answer, well, you need to be overwhelmed with who he is. 
And by the way, you don't have to work anything up. You just need to get an honest glimpse of who he is. He is exciting enough by himself. You don't have to pump him up. You don't have to promote him. You don't have to make him anything he's not. He's wonderful all by himself. Just get a glimpse. Get your eyes off of this world and get, an eye, get your eyes back on him and you will see. You will be reminded how wonderful he is. And this city, our city, the streets of our city need some people that are overwhelmed with Christ. Let me give you one last thought and I'm done tonight. Not only do we see the overflowing nature of her answer. Not only do we see the overwhelming nature of her answer. But I want to say something tonight before I sit down about the overcoming nature of her answer. If you were to read these verses as she's bragging on her beloved, you would think, man, this woman has got it all together. Her relationship with her shepherd king is going very well. And life is absolutely wonderful for her. She's praising her shepherd. She's in love. Everything is just so wonderful. But if you'll reconnect our passage to the passage we looked at and examined last night, you'll find out that as she is speaking to these daughters of Jerusalem, she is in the streets of this city, and she has been, according to verse number 7, she has been severely wounded. She has been smitten. Her veil has been taken away from her. Uh, she is in a, a place of division. She, has, uh, she is in, uh, living with a, a, her own a failure and her own mistakes. And then on top of that, what other people have done to her. She has been hurt by the very people who was supposed to protect her. The watchmen who are, who are uh, 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 obligated to protect the citizens of, uh, of the city. That is their one job. That is their one uh, item on their agenda. They are to protect and to serve. And what do they do? They take advantage of this girl and they wound her and they hurt her and they leave her absolutely wounded. I'm here to tell you, when she is praising her shepherd, when she is praising her beloved, I want you to know everything is not perfect in her life. I want you to know everything is not going great in her life. She has wounds, and she has hurts, and she has guilt, and she has shame, and she has embarrassment that is going on in her life, but she does not keep she does not let, uh, let those things keep her from lifting up her hands and, and praising her beloved and being a witness and bragging on who her shepherd is in her life. And can I tell you, one of the most powerful witnessing tools that you'll ever have is your own testimony of how you overcome. This world is intrigued and this world is drawn to those, not those that have a perfect life, not those who've done everything just right and crossed every I and, and, and whatever you do with I's and T's and, and have everything just right. Can I tell you, that is not what is intriguing to this world. But when we are open and we are honest and we say, I'm not perfect and I haven't always done what 
what was right. And, and I'm here to tell you, listen, church isn't always easy. And yeah, I've been hurt. And yeah, there's been some hard times and there's been some tough times. But I still love the shepherd. I'm still in love with him. I still can only... In fact, you'll find there's only one verse where she talks about what bad things happen to her. But there's verses 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. She goes on and on and on and on about how good He is. Most people want to spend 13 hours telling you how bad everything is. And oh yeah, Jesus is good too. But that church did that, and that preacher did that, and that family did that. And preachers are some of the worst sometimes. We'll talk about everybody that's hurt you, and everybody that's betrayed you, and everybody that's done you wrong. And I'm not minimizing that. I've pastored 15 years. That's, that's not long, but it's long enough to know that those things happen, and they hurt, and they're real. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God has been better to me. He has been more wonderful to me than anybody has ever been. Been bad to me, I've been hurt, but God is still wonderful. That is a powerful testimony. The city needs to hear that. That, yeah, it ain't always easy, but He is absolutely lovely. He is absolutely wonderful, and I'm head over heels in love. And when they heard that, and I think they were looking at those wounds, looking at that ripped gown and that removed veil and those wounds on her body. And when they saw her not drawing attention to the hurt, but drawing attention to the wonderful, wonderful groom, when, when they heard that and saw that, they said, Wow, where's he at? We want to find him too. And God help us. That's the impact that I want to have. On the city. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word and how it encourages us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help help us to take heed, Lord, to these pictures and these allegories, these illustrations that are in the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that we would have a ready answer. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would have a passionate answer. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would have an overcoming answer. Lord, that would overcome any hurt that's been in our life. Lord, may our, our test become our testimonies. And may our trials become our triumphs. And may our, our hurts become, uh, become a, a witnessing tool where we could brag on you and show this world that you are lovely and you are wonderful and you are absolutely worth serving and worth praising and worth being with. God, I pray that you'd help our love and passion for you to be so so evident and so powerful that it has an impact on this lost world. I pray that you grant it in Jesus' name. Amen.